Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Financial services industry over the past several years has been a challenging one, as firms have had to navigate the obvious potholes of global pandemic and remote work all while dealing with legacy battles such as fee compression, customer retention, and talent recruitment. To that last point, starting a new role during the pandemic is a difficult task for some. Starting a new role as CEO could arguably be even that much more difficult. On this month's Masters of the Universe, myself and my co-host, Amanda Albright, are pleased to be joined by the new Chief Executive Officer of Mesro, Natalie Brown. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you today. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great combo. Um, you know, I think Amanda's going to get us started off. You know, usually, like I said, I, I, I tend to go into a big spiel about like who's joining us each month. But I think sort of given, you know, your new spot, we, we'd love to hear about you from you. So, Amanda, why don't you sort of get us started? Yeah, well, you have a really, really impressive background, um, just named to be CEO of Mesero this summer um, and the first um, woman to serve in the role in, in the firm's history. So I think really we're just interested in kind of hearing about your path, you know, what brought you to finance to begin with and just kind of, um, you know, a little bit more about you and your career. Sure, sure. Thanks, Amanda. You know, I started my career in what would have been called big six public accounting at that time. It's big four now. But, you know, after graduating from the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University and prior to joining Mesro, I spent really the majority of my career, 19 years at Nuveen, where I really had a very positive experience. You know, most of my professional development was there. I had some excellent mentors as I had a series of of accounting and finance roles that progressed to really leading a large finance team across multiple locations. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I also served as the head of investor relations there um, at Nuveen when the firm was a public company and after the firm was taken out in a leveraged buyout transaction by a private equity group. So since I spoke with both of our equity and debt investors frequently, and I also prepared the quarterly earnings calls, I learned how to present you know, complex financial information in a straightforward and understandable manner. So really those two roles that I mentioned you know, leading a large diverse team and kind of the transparency with regard to presenting financial information, those two um, kind of skills led me to a CFO role here at Mesero. You know, I was attracted to this firm because it really... Um, one of the main reasons I was attracted to it was the firm's culture, but also the firm is 100% employee owned, which is really kind of rare. And when I first, even during the interview process, and when I first sat down with people here at the firm, it's really refreshing to sit down with people that are owners of the firm. You know, about half the employees are owners. And it's just a, it's a very refreshing ownership structure. And it's um, actually kind of fun to, to work with people who think and act like owners. Um, so 
when I came here, I worked very hard in the in the CFO role to establish credibility with our business leaders and increase transparency into the financials, which ended up leading to a seat on our board of directors and then eventually to the president role, which I was in for a year, and then to the role of CEO, which I just started in July. Uh, as I transitioned into this role, Richard Price, my mentor at the firm, who's been here for 50 years, most recently wow. as chairman and CEO, transition to executive chairman, and I'm looking forward to continuing to partner with him. You know, just by the numbers, I was shocked to, to see that you guys have like almost $230 billion in assets under supervision. You know, it's I, I get so siloed in my muni world that I, I don't really think about the, the sort of context and size of how large some of these financial organizations are. But I mean, more to that point, you know, the firm is so large, you guys are spread across like several countries. And, and again, my narrow muni world, I thought you were just based in Chicago. So, you know, sort of given the context and size of the firm and, and you know, how sort of spread out. Has that been a huge challenge during the pandemic? Um, you know, I feel like um, it hasn't. I mean, what, what, it was a challenge for all of us during the pandemic, right? Yeah. <laughs> staying connected and yeah. we have a very intentional culture here. Um, so staying intention, staying connected was challenging. I, I felt like there was a really big energy that first year yeah. around kind of staying connected, taking care of each other. You know, we had virtual happy hours. We, we you know, we all tried really I hard. This. <laughs> you could call each other at nine o'clock at night and everybody was still, you know, online. <laughs> we were sort of online because everybody knew we were you know we were all at home but one of my big efforts now is you know I am visiting our remote offices and I, I've been to five of them so far in 2022 including our London office and my goal is to get to really all of them um, you know by the end of the year so I'm excited that we've opened up travel again and I'm excited that I have the ability to make um, people feel connected to the firm and that we can sustain um, this very intentional culture that we have. You know, being that you're back on the road, what's your sort of take on travel right now as far as like volumes and flying in and out of you know, Chicago yeah. um, as far as like pre-pandemic? Like I see the TSA numbers, they look like they're ticking up higher, Yeah. Um, you know, but are you seeing sort of a rebound as far as like actual in-person traffic? Yeah, you know, it feels it feels really busy. Um, you know, not only am I visiting our offices, but I've also um, been attending client meetings. That you know, my planes are full, the airports are full. Yeah. Um, it 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 feels it feels busy to me, and I, and I have to be honest, I, it feels it feels good to be back on the road again. I'm really enjoying it. Are you seeing that same sort of busyness within the downtown Chicago area as well? Yeah, it, it's. Um, you know, here at Mesro, um, we began a hybrid work schedule in March. So we have three set office days on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and our employees can be remote on Monday and Friday. They also, they can come into the office if they want to, we're open, but that's generally our schedule. So I really like that schedule because it builds in flexibility for our employees. I, I think a lot of them like checking their emails at home on Monday morning and starting the week out that way instead of getting on the road. Um, so what, what I'm seeing here in Chicago to answer your question is it does feel like there's a, the Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays are much busier with foot traffic than Monday and Friday that, okay. you know, that's, that's sort of how it feels. It doesn't, there's not, it's not dead on Monday and Friday, but Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, there's definitely that old energy. It feels, it feels like a lot of firms might be doing, might be doing what we're doing. Oh, interesting. 
So I know that you mentioned you're you're hitting the road and visiting employees and other offices. Um, are there other big priorities um, just for for the rest of 2022 in terms of um, your your CEO goals? Oh, yeah. You know, that's a really good question. You know, thanks for asking that. You know, we um, that my main goal, one of my my main goal, you hit the nail on the head is connectivity. You know, another goal is um, we just had our, our year end is 331. And so we just had our annual shareholder meeting. So one of the things that I unveiled during that meeting for our shareholders was, you know, a, just a, a cohesive set of strategic priorities for the whole firm. You know, I really think it's a best, pre- we have 16 different businesses that are spread across really three divisions. And um, one thing that my predecessor Richard Price did was he he implemented a much more corporate structure. You know, the firm used to be, you know, very, very siloed with all 16 businesses sort of reporting up to one person. But, you know, Richard's made us a little bit more corporate. I, I certainly want to continue that. And at the same time, I want to, one, one of our strategic priorities is collaboration across the businesses. So I wanted to make sure that all employees kind of understand what our firm-wide strategic priorities are so that employees aren't sort of stuck in their in their silos and only thinking about the business that they're in. Can you tell us a little bit about those three main divisions, just for people who aren't familiar with Mesro? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the three divisions are global investment management, where we serve mostly institutional clients through traditional equity and fixed income, as well as alternative strategies. Um, we also have an advisory services division, which includes our founding wealth management business, as well as two retirement plan oriented businesses. And of course, we have capital markets and investment banking, where we're focused on talking today. Um, this comprises traditional middle market investment banking, as well as our four capital markets businesses, which include credit tenant lease and structured debt, uh, public finance, uh, sale lease back capital, and institutional sales and trading. And public finance, obviously near and dear to my heart and Amanda's heart. So if if you would indulge me just a quick question, I know that you guys have had some some new um, hires um, within that group. Um, You know, can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, what the bank strategy might be as far as growth in that area going forward for the rest of the year? We will, you know, we will certainly continue to strategically add headcount in public finance um, and in municipal and in municipal sales and trading. Um, You know, we're agnostic really in terms of geographic location. What's really more important is finding experienced professionals that that fit into our corporate, you know, very intentional corporate structure and um, I'm I'm sorry, very intentional culture and serve our clients well. We're hiring across all sectors, but we've really concentrated our focus primarily on high yield, as evidenced by our recent hires in Maryland, Denver, Nashville. And, you know, given the firm's success in competitive underwriting and really our robust sales and trading operation, expanding our negotiated business is a really a natural fit for the firm. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, just for those who are listening who aren't familiar, Mesro is ranked as the 23rd largest muni underwriter. And what's interesting is that you guys have actually moved up two slots from last year, which shows sort of that dedication to the space and, you know, sort of the the improvement and sort of growth within that business. So, I mean, obviously you guys seem committed um, to, you know, rising up the, the league tables even further for 2022. Um, you know, I guess the the one question I would have, you know, do you, you know, 
Munis probably make up a disproportionately small amount of the overall Mesero world. Um, do you see that as sort of, you know, anything changing on that horizon as far as, you know, what the opportunity set might be as far as the municipal space? You know, we're we're committed to growth in this space and we're expanding our capabilities for several reasons. We see significant opportunities in the market for our clients, which are created by you know, macro issues such as infrastructure needs, changing population demographics and, you know, potential revisions to the tax, to the yeah. tax system. You know, additionally, we've, we've been really been able to hire first class talent that's expanded our expertise in banking, sales and trading, and which has really enabled us to provide um, significant additional value to our clients. As a, as a privately owned firm, we can take a long view. You know, we don't have to, we're not bound to by the street or some quarterly expectation or bound to a parent um, or, or bound to a private equity firm that might want to exit in a few years. So we can grow our business in a methodical manner and really consider the, the long-term value of our products and markets to our clients. So going forward, we, we will continue to look for talented salespeople and bankers in the muni world as well, as well as adding talent in the taxable sectors. And just to um, ask a little bit more about the the muni growth, um, you mentioned interest in high yield. And I know that that's for bankers. High yield has some appeal because the fees can be a little bit higher. Is that part of why um, high yield munis might be kind of one of the focus areas of the expansion? Um, you know, that's that's not that's not really the way that we're thinking about it. You know, we we want to you know, um to sort of to put it in perspective, our you know our average annual trading volume over the last five years is well over thirty billion dollars, and you know we interact with clients through really a broad array of services. We offer tender option bond bond administrative services. We trade bonds across the yield curve in, in, in investment grade and high yield, like you mentioned. We also serve as a repurchasing agent, heavily involved, as I mentioned, in the competitive and negotiated underwritings. So we, we really view the success of this municipal business as a key to our financial success. And um, due to the extent of this activity, it enables us to interact with a vast array of clients, many of which are clients in other areas. So that that's more how we think about it. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, well, just in in the Muni world, obviously Chicago is you know it looms large in, in Muni land. Um, so that's where y'all are headquarters. I, I think I think you're based there now, um, if I'm not mistaken. But um, just wanted to talk a little bit about your view on the city. Um, you know, obviously its finances have improved um, pretty materially from pandemic aid and better tax revenue. And but at the same time, you know, the city has seen a lot more. Um, you know challenges with corporations, you know, moving to other places. So I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about, um, you know, your position in Chicago. Yeah, great question. We have been headquartered in in Chicago since our founding in 1937, so for 85 years. Um, we, you know, we do have 18 other offices across the country, um, including offices in London and Hong Kong. Uh, but we we are very proud of the fact that we are considered an employer of choice here in Chicago. As someone who worked in Chicago for a very long time but prior to working at Mesero, I'm fully aware that Mesero is an employee uh, employer of choice, and that, that our culture is you know well well known and well respected in the city. You know, community engagement is really one of the three pillars of our corporate social responsibility structure. Um, the other two being 
sustainability and DE&I. So we really do work hard to act as a force for social good here in Chicago and really in all the other cities where we have office locations. But we're excited about Chicago's future. We participate participate in many initiatives to support the city's economic health and, and neighborhoods here in Chicago. That's great. Well, you you mentioned um, diversity and inclusion. I know that's a big priority of yours. So maybe we can just talk through a little bit about um, DNI and just kind of maybe how that affects um, you know hiring goals and just kind of how that factors into um, your new position. Sure, sure. This is highly critical, um, and we are fortunate that we have a strong foundation in DEI. Um, the firm's always had an entrepreneurial, really collegial, open door culture. And we know that we make better decisions when we hear voices from diverse backgrounds. It is my job to make sure that happens. Um, we have a robust diversity, equity, and inclusion council. They lead the way in this effort. Uh, the council includes people of color, LGBTQ employees, and employees with disabilities. They have established very clear and very specific priorities around recruiting, community engagement, training, and their message is prominent here. You know, they a leader from the council presents at all board meetings, all town halls, all shareholder meetings. They attend um, our businesses, individual meetings, just to make sure that their priorities and their progress is, is well known throughout the form, throughout the firm. And our goal is to remain an employer of choice. And we know that um, talented employees, particularly the younger generation, you know, sort of demand a, a DEI commitment. So we think this helps us retain and recruit um, talented young professionals. And we also know that our clients expect us to, um, to not just have not just talk about DEI, but actually um, be able to share our our DEI accomplishments and efforts with them. And just um, wanted to talk a little bit about your your history making um, role at, at the firm. Um, you know, you're the first woman to to serve as CEO there. Um, and I did notice that you you mentioned your your mentor a few times um, already in our conversation. And I know that um, a lot of women in finance talk about the importance of like mentorships. So I'm just curious if that was really pivotal for you, or you know, kind of what the industry can do to to get more women in, in senior leadership roles. Yeah, really great, great question, Amanda. So, um, you know, yeah, Richard, Richard's mentorship of me, you know, certainly is is the reason that I'm in this role. Um, you know, he wasn't my only mentor at this at this firm. There were several, um, but I felt like he knew he understood my capabilities even before I did. He knew I could do hard things. Um, some of the hard things he knew I could do, he knew I, I could do them before I did. Um, it's really been an honor to take on this role. And I think in terms of what it means to me, it demonstrates really that Mesero continues to be committed to recruitment and advancement for women. But when I think about women in senior leadership roles, what I'm seeing is, is, really a narrative shift, I think, around leadership today, um, particularly in conversations and expectations that younger professionals have about leaders. I really think there's more of an emphasis today on valuing leaders that demonstrate empathy and authenticity and vulnerability, really, in, in executive leadership. You know, my colleagues at the firm, they want to know the real me. They want to see the real me. And, you know, my 
approach to leadership is building relationships through being my authentic self here at work. I really only have one version of myself. And um, I really, I think authenticity and, and empathy tend to come naturally for many women, which I really do think bodes well for us to see a trend toward more women in senior leadership positions, you know, not only in this industry, but across industries. Absolutely. Sorry, Amanda. I just wanted to, before I forget, you mentioned mentorship and and obviously like we talked about work from home earlier and just the firm's commitment to doing with the three day on two day off model. Yeah. Do you feel like that's a challenge to sort of promote mentorship or, or how are you guys approaching mentorship when people might have schedules that aren't necessarily lining up depending on like, you know, what days they're there, what days they aren't there? Yeah. So that's a really great question. So um, that's why we are, that's why we selected, that's very, the the very reason why we selected this three set office days of Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, rather than everybody pick their own day, because we really want a critical mass of people, you know, gathered here on the days that we're here. And one of the primary drivers, maintaining our intentional culture is one of the reasons that we did that. But the second reason is really to make sure that our our younger professionals get, you know, the development opportunities that they need in order to grow. You know, know, those of us who are later, who are later in our careers, I think we can be, we understand how to be more productive from home and our learning curves are not as steep as, as some of, uh, some of the younger folks that it, we can all look back and remember how much we learned from getting pulled into a, a, an ad hoc meeting or an impromptu meeting or sticking our head in someone's office and being able to ask a question. You know, that's really why we have these core three days where we're gathering here. And there's a great, there is really a great energy around it. It's, um, you know, I always have planned lunches on those three days. We might have even a few too many happy hours on the, on those days because we're just all excited to be here. So it's almost like everything's getting, you know, all of the interaction, um, the the work part and the fun part is sort of getting crammed into, into those three days, which I, I have to be honest, I, I'm really enjoying. I mean, do you think that's something that's going to stick even if the pandemic ended tomorrow? You know, I really, I do. I, I see... Um, I see our hybrid schedule continuing because I'm really getting great feedback about it. You know, certainly when um, when we were making these decisions and and everything was unprecedented and we were really prioritizing the health and physical and mental well-being of our employees for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we certainly heard voices from people who said, if we don't gather in the office five days a week, you know, that 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 the firm is is going to suffer the consequences. And then we had people on the other side saying, hey, you know, embrace technology. We could we had these record years from home. We did so well. We know how to do this. You know, we we want to work from home. We don't want to put pants on ever again. So for <laughs> me, you know, charting this middle course yeah. was really felt like um really felt like the right way to go. And I feel like we've got the best of both worlds. And I I'm I, you can't please everybody, but I think we're 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 trying to please to please as many as we can. And I think that's a pretty progressive stance from an employer because, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks across the financial industry and, and some some people I've spoken to, they've never not been in the office the whole time. Right. So it's interesting just to sort of hear hear your approach and, you know, how progressive that is. So just sort of sticking with the, the sort of ad, ad, 
sustainability question, you know, what have you guys been doing from a technology standpoint or what lessons have you learned during the pandemic that you're now sort of applying to your business models to, to create efficiencies or to sort of, you know, do new things as far as from a technological standpoint, um, you know, to sort of facilitate, you know, sort of the better um, business creation for folks who are home two days a week? You know, I, I, technology needs to be weaved through, you know, everything, everything we do, you know, we're fortunate that we have a, a really top notch, um, technology team here, um, ensuring that technology is, is part of, part of everything we do is certainly, um, one of the, one of the strategic priorities that I described earlier. Um, we've, we've made some really great advancements, um, with regard to client portals in, um, you know, during the pandemic. And I think it's, uh, you know, another thing that that's been difficult is, you know, there's been a spend associated with making sure that all of our employees are, you know, set up and really in two different places. There, there's a, there, you know, there's a, there's a cost to that, but I really, I do think it's money well spent because it's, it has to do, it, it promotes, you know, our, our efficiency. Yeah. And obviously the Bloomberg terminal has made that, that obviously a, a perfect transition, right? That's a shameless plug on my part. That's okay. <laughs> that was shameless. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Um, we talked a little bit about just grappling with changes posed by the pandemic. Are there any like bigger industry shifts or, you know, whether it's regulation or policy, like, are there any big like things that are not, you know, necessarily pandemic related? Is there anything on the horizon for your industry that you're, you know, keeping an eye on? Yeah, really great question. You know, one key issue we're watching right now is, you know, there, there's a proposal to shorten trade reporting to one minute. Um, you know, we are concerned whether market participants really have the bandwidth to support that change. Um, the cost of implementation could outweigh um, this, you know, stated benefit of increased transparency. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're keeping our eye on that. And, in, you know, in the taxable market, we're certainly monitoring the proposed changes to rule 4210. Um, this That's been going on for some time, but the, as of now, the changes really do still seem to favor some market participants over others and also will require significant costs. But we do understand the importance of mitigating risk in the market. And, you know, we're open to and looking forward to working with regulatory agencies to you know, discuss these new proposals and make them better. Oh, that's very interesting. Let's sort of hit on on obviously what's going on with the with the macroeconomic environment. And and you know, you you made a point earlier just talking about sort of a generational shift. And that's sort of interesting because I've seen a lot of articles, especially over the last two weeks, just talking about like how sizable that shift is going to be. And I've seen numbers um, estimated between like 30 and 40 trillion in sort of this like generational wealth transfer. Um, you know, for a firm that's, you know, rooted in the asset management business, what does that mean as far as an opportunity set? And how are you sort of positioning yourselves to cater to uh, a younger demographic that's going to you know, be the recipient of this money? Yeah, that, that's a that's just that's a really, you know, <laughs> that's a wonderful question. <laughs> it's a very good question. And it's certainly top of mind and part of our focus. You know, we do. This is a um, this is a relationship focused business. So um, we're completely focused on our um, on our existing relationships and expanding them to the younger generation. But, you know, 
I think technology, as we talked about before, plays a key, play, play, really plays a, um, a key role in that, right? Because I think that um, the younger generation has a different expectation um, around technology. They receive information differently and they um, process information differently. So, you know, we will, we will need to think through how we communicate with them and how we deliver information to them um, as, we, as we look to kind of op- optimize our opportunity with that younger set. Um, okay. So I, I am, I do kind of think the one minute trade reporting topic, we have not delved into this big yeah. time on, on my team, but I'm just curious, like, is, is that something that you and your peers are talking about? Or is that something you'll, you'll plan to talk with the regulatory agencies about as that kind of advances? I, I'm just a little bit you know, it, we haven't heard as much about it. It's, it's certainly something that our, um, our, the folks in institutional sales and trading are speaking with their peers about, you know, we have, um, we have roundtables and, and um, peer-to-peer discussions and it, it's, it's, it is top of mind. And it's certainly something we're talking about with our, um, with our peer firms. Got it. Um, you talked a lot about um, flexibility. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the pandemic, um, and then we also talked about Chicago. So I'm curious for folks that maybe work at the firm who are, you know, maybe the pandemic taught them that they want to move to Florida or down South. What, what's your approach with those employees or just kind of, how are you thinking about this big finance shift down to Florida and, and, um, Southern States generally? Yeah. So, um, really great question. We did, we did have, um, you know, several employees or many employees decide to move during the pandemic. And, um, I think we need to think through that on a roll by roll basis. You know, sometimes that, that works out just fine, depending on what your role is, but oftentimes your, uh, an employee's role is such that they need to be, you know, kind of here with the team in Chicago. So we need to be flexible, but we also need to do what's best for the firm and for our shareholders. And so we think about it that way. We're fortunate in that we have a Southeast expansion team and strategy and there, we have offices in, um, Miami and Boca Raton, and we we just recently offered opened an office in Nashville. So um, we think that will help us with recruiting, and um, we feel fortunate that we have this Southeast extra- expansion strategy led by George Barber, who is in our Boca Raton office. And let's talk about recruitment, just because you you just touched on that. Um, obviously, like one of the challenges for a lot of businesses has been sort of wage inflation. Um, you know, and, and obviously it's something that um, is not unique to the financial services industry, but, you know, have you found that to be a particular pain point or a challenge as far as um, recruitment over the last year and a half, let's say? Um, I, we have not found it to be a particular pain point. You know, I will say that we are very thoughtful about how we incentivize our employees and we are very um we we make every effort to get market data and pay our employees, um, you know, kind of commensurate with market. And we're also, like I said, very creative and thoughtful about our retention strategies. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I haven't I, we haven't found we haven't found it to be a particular pain point, uh, you know, recently other, other than what other than what you might expect. You know, certainly our merit increases were higher as as you might expect them to be. Um, 
considering considering inflation. Yeah. And so pivoting back to the macro theme, obviously the interest rate environment is one that everybody's struggling with, um, you know, just from a volatility standpoint and just for sort of an unknown standpoint, because even though we had an inflation reading of eight and a half, um, and while that has ticked lower, it's still eight and a half percent inflation, right? So the yeah. Fed has a long way to go. Yeah. You know, how does that sort of uncertainty play into business planning for you um, as you know as the firm leader? Well, it's a challenge. Um, you know, we're fortunate in that we have, um, as I mentioned before, we have 16 distinct businesses and the diversification that we have across, um, across our, we have, you know, we've kind of 16 different P&Ls and they're impacted. They're all impacted by inflation or, or most of them are, and they're impacted in different ways. And in some ways there's, you know, there's opportunities. We're seeing some of our businesses, you know, for example, we have an equity manager management team within our global investment management division that, you know, their, their um, small cap value strategy offers quite a bit of downside protection. And they're right now, their performance has, you know, shot up to the, to the top decile. So that's really exciting to see. So, you know, where, where we see some businesses um, have less opportunity in a rising interest rate environment or an inflationary environment, we have, we have our other other businesses that have more opportunities. So that's exciting to see. Yeah. And that was um, one of the questions I wanted to make sure to ask, because we do have this very muni scope, but are there other, other than, you know, boosting um, potentially headcount and munis, are there other areas of the business that you see opportunities for growth, even if it's not just headcount, just opportunity for, for business growth? Absolutely. Um, You know, certainly the, um, certainly the pandemic, um, I think in some cases created opportunities because, you know, your some existing clients re-upped with whoever they were with, right? So, it, and because they didn't want to meet anybody new or people weren't going on the road and there weren't as many face-to-face meetings. So we certainly were in some of our businesses, the beneficiary of that. And then in, in other of our businesses that are sort of more, um, in incubation phase or in growth phase and just starting out that, that, you know, that hurt, that hurt some of those other businesses. Right. Um, but you know, we have, um, our alternative strategies in our global investment management group are doing very well. So look, I, I know that we, we were sort of probably like running up on, on our runtime here and, you know, we inevitably always want to carve out a little bit of time for some, um, audience questions. And while we don't do it live, I always try and pull, um, you know, our sort of chat room here about what they want to hear from you. So, you know, obviously knowing that you're based in Chicago, one of the questions that came in was best place for deep dish pizza. <laughs> I mean, for my favorite, my favorite would be Lou Malnati's. Okay. All right. I will report that back to the audience and also um, White Sox or Cubs. Okay. So that's a great question. You know, I had, I grew up with season tickets. I'm, I'm was born and raised in Northwest Indiana and my dad has been, you know, brought me to Cubs games since I was very small. So I'm a Cubs fan, but I am married to a White Sox fan. So I have, we, and we, we, we support each other's fanhood in my household. Natalie, I, I loved what you said about like the, the need for empathetic leadership. I think that's so important. Um, no matter what the industry is, I'm curious if there's like books that you've read or podcasts or a mood, like what have you, has any like content really resonated with you on like leadership, like in the past few months? 
It's a, it's, it's a great, that's a great question, Amanda. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit more of a, um, in the, in that whole realm, I'm more of an article reader instead of a book reader. And I'm also really keeping track of, you know, we've got some, we've got some folks that are engaged in various leadership training, you know, kind of formal training. And so I try to talk to them about, you know, what are, what are you hearing and what, you know, and I'm, I, we also do executive coaching here. And so I feel like all of in the, in the articles I'm reading and in the training that I'm hearing about, and then in my conversations with executive coaches, it's these same themes. And it's, you know, it, it really resonates with me because that's how I've always thought about, about leadership. I've always tried to be vulnerable. I've always tried to let people see the real me. And it's so exciting to me that I, I feel like I'm hearing people talk about this, which was sort of my personal philosophy. And now it's kind of, it's, it's out there and I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's just, I find it really refreshing. No, totally. It's it's really cool to hear, um, you know, a CEO talk about the importance of vulnerability and stuff. So yeah, absolutely, it's great to hear about. Thank you. Well, with that, I want to thank you, Natalie Brown. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I think there's a lot of exciting things ahead for Mesro for the duration of 2022. And we wish you the best of luck in your new role. Super exciting. Thank you so much. Thanks, you guys. I really, I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Thank you. Yeah. And next time in Chicago, I'm looking up that pizza place. Sounds good. All right. Yes. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.